I wanted to be an astronaut when I grew up. Anybody else? Any other young men? Yep. Didn't work out for me. Some people say I'm kind of headed in the same direction, maybe. But alas. Yeah, I, I just, I loved all things science and space and followed it. Obviously, one of the huge events in my life that I remember was when the uh, space shuttle exploded. That was sort of, I remember being at high school and, and we went outside to watch the launch and then saw those odd smoke trails. That's like, that's not what it usually looks like. We came inside and saw the news and it was, it was, it was devastating, you know, just to, to read about that and to hear about that. Obviously, there have been many tragedies in, in the space program, but also many successes, including one when I was but a, but a wee lad when uh, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Pretty amazing, huh? to think that, that that happened, that he got up there and happened. I, I read a quote a long time ago. I looked it up again this week. It's kind of fascinating. As, as he's been to space, as he's walked on the moon, as he's in the capsule, I think it was as he was getting ready to come back, he said he looked out the, uh, the, the window, the viewer from, from the capsule. He says, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. And I put up my thumb and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. You know, when I read that, I remember, do you remember you used to do this? Like, I squish your head, I squish your head, I squish your head, I squish your head. Remember that as kids? Anyone? Still do it from time to time? Get far enough away? I don't like you. <laughs> That's what I pictured. You know, you felt like so big. But this is what he said after saying this. I put up my thumb, closed one eye, and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. But I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. Today I want to look at how small we are. And I think one of the, the great ways to do that is to talk about this universe we live in. Um, part of it's just the, the space stuff that I love so much, and part of it was a, a Louis Giglio talk I heard way back a long time ago. And, and, and to think about what it means to live in this universe and what that says about us and what that says about God. Psalm 19 gives us a, a good starting off point. Psalm 19, the psalmist would, would tell us about the, the heavens that we're in, this, this universe that we're in. And in Psalm 19, verse 1, he says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Says day, I think the next slide tells us, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. The voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. You walk outside and you just look up, particularly at night, and it is remarkable. I grew up in the country, I grew up where there weren't a lot of street lights, and there aren't a lot here in, in the Keys and parts, but even here, uh, there are a few. But you go out on a clear night, the moon's not out, there are no street lights around, and you look up, and you are struck by just the sheer number of stars in the sky. It is, it is overwhelming and beautiful all at once. And, and some of those stars, a lot of those stars are part of this little galaxy. Here's your science quiz for today. What galaxy are we a part of? No, that's not a trick-or-treat candy only. It's something else. It is our galaxy. i got a picture of it here, I hope. They, these pictures all work. You never know sometimes. That is a view of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, obviously, it's not really a view because I don't think there's a camera that can take that picture. 
because you got to be a long way away to get that angle on the Milky Way galaxy. But that's kind of a composite image of, of what scientists believe based upon what we can see from things like the Hubble t- Space Telescope and other things. That's kind of an idea of what the Milky Way galaxy looks like. Uh, billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy. To give you an idea of what that means, if you were to count one star every second, one, two, three, four, one star a second, it would take you over 2,000 years to count all the stars just in our galaxy. And it's one galaxy among many, 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 many thousands of other galaxies in this vast thing we call the universe. Um, Isaiah 40, verses 26 and 27, tells us a little bit about these stars, that the heavens that declare the glory of God. And Isaiah says this, beginning in verse 26, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. To think that our God could say that, that that he brings them out. He numbers them. He names them. And because of his care for them, not one of them is missing. Those billions of stars in our Milky Way that are part of even many more across the, the whole universe are, are remarkable. God says, I know them. I named them. I hold them in place. How big is our galaxy, you're wondering? That's a great question. Well, to talk about galactic distances, we use a wonderful measurement called a light year. How fast does light travel? Does anybody know? Isn't this a fun science day? Wow, I'm impressed. 186,000 miles per second. Is that right? Do we all agree? All in favor say aye. All opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Good. 186,000 miles per second. So a light year is, anybody know how many seconds are in a year? Uh-huh, uh-huh. No. A bunch. I don't either. 186,000 miles per second multiplied times the number of seconds in a year, let me get my number right, gives us 5.88 trillion miles. That's a long way. That's how far light can travel in one year. And when we talk about distances in our, our galaxy, we talk light years. We talk about the nearest star outside of the sun to our solar system. We're talking over four light years, about four and a quarter light years away. So that 5.88, is it five or four? 5.88 trillion miles times 4.24, I believe is the exact number. That's how far away the nearest star to us outside of our sun in our galaxy is And that's just the nearest one in the billions that are in the Milky Way galaxy. Where are we in the Milky Way galaxy? I'm so glad you asked. I have a picture. You are here. Do you see yourself? Can you see our steeple in that picture? No, you can't. We are. Our solar system is on the outskirts of the galaxy. Hey, here's, here's something in case you're wondering. You are not the center of anything. 
You're not the center of the universe. You're certainly not even the center of the, your own galaxy. We are way out here, and that's a good thing. We have to be between those spiral bands because the, the spiral bands show a density of stars, and that's where a lot of collisions are happening. You certainly don't want to be in the middle of all that because lots of things are running into each other. It's not a good place to be. We're kind of put out here toward the peripheral of our galaxy in a remarkable way. God, as we just read in, in the book of Isaiah, puts everything in its place. And when he put the star that we know of as our sun in place, he put it in just the right place in the Milky Way galaxy so that it could have the stability and without the collisions that happened and hung the planets around it. And here we are there on the outskirts of that galaxy. Now, to give you an idea of perspective, is a perspective a wonderful thing? We jokingly say you are here and draw a circle. But if we were to give a dot on that picture that would accurately represent our solar system, not Earth, our solar system, Sun to Pluto, our entire solar system, you could not see it. It would be minuscule, microscopic. If this picture was the size of the North American continent, U.S. and Canada and some in Mexico. So that's a big, big splotch, right? If that picture was the size of the North American continent, our solar system, not Earth, our solar system would be represented by a quarter. Isn't that remarkable? Put a quarter on North America, and that's kind of our neighborhood. It's just sort of where we hang out in this huge, vast solar system, the nearest star of which is about four and a quarter light years, four and a quarter times 5.88 trillion miles away. And here we are, just hanging here. And God put everything right where he wanted it, right where it could be, right where it needed to be. He knows every star by name, and he makes sure it, it stays in place. Psalm chapter 8 will give us a little insight into that too. The psalmist writes these words. He says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? That's a great question, isn't it? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? This huge God who created all the universe, who said, let there be light, and there was light, and who created all the stars, created all the planets, who created every living thing that we know on earth. He sets it in motion, and, and he, this psalmist asks a great question. Why in the world in this huge, massive universe, not even mentioning this huge, massive galaxy, not even mentioning this huge, massive solar system, do you care about people, about you and me? Well, since we're on the question of perspective, let's talk about our quarter on the North American continent, our solar system. I, I, I tried to get an idea to give us an to, to give you an idea of the scale of our solar system. Anybody else like football? You know how long a football field is? How long is a football field? 100 yards. We're going end zone to end zone, or in line to end line, not end zone to end zone. So we're getting rid of that 10 yards in the end zone. Because I don't have to worry about that. The Bucks never go there anyway. Dolphins didn't get there very often the other night. But anyway, so we're going to start. And we're going to take a bowling ball to represent the sun. 
and put it on the goal line. Bowling ball is about eight inches in diameter. So that's our sun. On that scale, one inch will equal 100,000 miles. Okay? One inch equals 100,000 miles, which means one yard, of which on a football field there are 100, equals how much? Oh, math. Math and science is a good day, right? How about 3.6 million? Am I right? 3,600,000 miles is a yard on the football field. So the sun, represented by a bowling ball, is on the goal line. Now, if the sun is a bowling ball, what do we need to use to represent good old Earth? A peppercorn. That's relative size, the earth to the sun. A peppercorn. Where do we have to put this peppercorn? If we're going to put this peppercorn on that football field to represent how far it is from the sun, how far is the earth from the sun? You guys are so good today. 93 million miles. So if you've got your calculator app, one yard is 3.6 million miles, and we need to put our peppercorn 93 million miles away from the sun. Where does it go? That's right, the 26-yard line. Good job. The 26-yard line. We're that far away. That's pretty good ways. That's two first downs. And a half. That's the earth. Now, what if we're going to put Pluto... Not the Mickey dog, but the planet. Actually, it's not a planet either anymore, is it? I don't know what it is. That thing out in space that's called Pluto. Where do we put it on our football field? Any guesses? 50-yard line. So it would be twice as far away from the sun as the Earth. That's way too close. The one-yard line? That is also way too close. You need, in fact, 10 other football fields. It is 1,019 yards later to get to the pinhead. Actually, that's probably too big, but that's all I could think of to represent. The pinhead that represents Pluto. 10 football fields plus 19 yards later is Pluto. And way over there is a bowling ball. Can you see the bowling ball from Pluto? Could you imagine if you just had... 11 football fields back to back to back, and you went and put the, put the sun at the goal line, and, and then about 10 yards later, you know, Mercury and a few yards past that, Venus and Earth, and you got all the way out here on 10 football fields plus 19 yards later, and then I said, okay, go find the stuff you laid. And what you'd have to lay down are pinheads, because that's three or four of the planets. Um, peppercorns, there's a few peppercorn-sized ones. We might even get up to the size of, of like an almond or a hazelnut for a massive planet like Jupiter. How easy would it be to find all those things over 1,019 yards? You can't see any of them. You have to hopefully wander across them. And what did the psalmist say? What did we just read? He said, there, God put all of those in place, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of them. He put in place. He knows them. He named them. And we're just hanging out here on this third rock from the sun. 
which Carl, Hager, Carl Sagan, excuse me, famously called a moat of dust suspended on a sunbeam. Do you know why he called it a moat of dust suspended on a sunbeam? I'm so glad you asked because I looked this up. Some of you probably do. But in 1990, the Voyager space probe got all the way out here, 1,019 1, yards away from the bowling ball, past Pluto. And they sent instructions to that space probe in 1990 to turn its cameras around and look back on the solar system and take pictures, which is remarkable. Because there are places I don't even get good cell phone reception, and they're talking to something 4 billion miles away. And so it did. It turned its camera back and began to take a series of pictures back across the solar system. It took days for that signal to travel. And on those particular times, you know, 1990, that, you remember that wonderful sound uh, when the Internet was just starting to catch on? And all, I mean, I worked in a, in a library at a seminary. We had uh, a dial-up modem. I think it was 9600 baud. I don't even know what that means anymore. I just know it took a long time to do anything. And you would dial it up, and you'd hear that familiar tone, and you'd wait and wait and wait. We could make queries of other libraries to find articles and books that we could get for students at our library that were doing research. This is the technology of that day, and somehow they're, they're speaking out or sending signals out, and, and this satellite, this, this space probe is sending signals back, and it's in a series of images that they made a composite of that is what the next picture I want to show you is. This next picture is a composite of all those pictures Voyager sent back. And there is Earth. Can you see that pale blue dot? It's in, if you follow, see, I don't, follow this kind of brightish reflection, sunbeam up, you'll see just the faintest pale blue dot. You can look it up. I didn't put a you are here circle on it, so you're on your own on this one. That's Earth. From the perspective of just the edge of our solar system, our quarter on the North American continent that is representative of the Milky Way galaxy, which is full of billions of stars, which is one galaxy among hundreds of thousands of other galaxies in the known universe. It is amazing what when you look at this, the scale of where we live and, and the fact that the psalmist would say, who is man that you are mindful of him? We're really not much, are we? Jane Preacher, you're making me feel really small. That's not my goal. My goal is to help you realize you are are small. See, humanity in all of its history has tried to make ourselves bigger and bigger and bigger and God smaller and smaller and smaller. And somehow, even with the technology that's, what, 25, 15, 25 years old. Yeah, I'll do my math. 25 years old, we see the tininess of the planet that we live on. And yet we look at that and say, wow, look how amazing man is that we can create a space probe and send it that far and have signals go back and forth and somehow understand this. Man is incredible. Or in the immortal words of Donald Trump, man is huge. 
really huge. We're not huge. We are tiny. We are nothing. We think we have power. We think we have ability. Do you know what has power? The sun. In fact, I, have a, I think I have a picture of the surface of the sun. Not a live picture or anything, but one of those things, the surface of the sun, is the next thing in the slideshow. They did studies. This is part of the surface of the sun, solar flares or whatever they call those things. It's just a massive ball of incredible energy, 93 million miles out, 26 yards on the football field, out from our little peppercorn of Earth. And it hangs there and exists to help you get a tan. Can I get an amen? Obviously, I don't use it for that purpose, but that's another story. It hangs out there and sends light and heat to us. Did you know that when they, when they calculate the amount of energy the sun creates, I, f- I found this a fascinating statistic, that if you took the total gross national product of the United States of America for 7 million years, you would have enough money to pay this power company for one second. That's how much energy it's generating day after day, night after night, although it's never night there, I guess. All the time, it's just pouring out this energy. It's just this fireball that sends light and heat. And we are the perfect distance from this particular orb, this particular star in the sky, that everything about our planet is allowed to have life. We're tilted. You may have read these things. We're tilted on our axis at just the right angle away from that sun that allows the seasonal changes and allows us to have life. So many particulars about how our Earth is situated in our solar system, which is in our galaxy, in relation to our sun that allows you and I even to take a breath, just the slightest change to any of that. There'd be nothing here. And the Bible would remind us all of that. God put in place just so. We are tiny. Nothings in the middle of what we think is the universe. When in fact, on any scale, from any perspective, we're nothing. Our solar system is nothing. Our planet is nothing. We're just hanging out here in space, lucky to take the next breath. You know, there's a picture of a galaxy I want to show you. I think it's a fascinating galaxy called the Whirlpool Galaxy. Have you heard of this? Some of you have. I'm guessing. It's a fascinating galaxy. It's, it's, it's pretty cool because of its orientation to us and to the pictures the Hubble Space Telescope can take of it. So we're going to skip the Hebrews passage and go to that next uh, picture of the galaxy. There it is, the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's oriented toward us, so that's the kind of picture we can take. Not all galaxies give us that kind of view, but because of what it is, that's what we get to see, this incredible Whirlpool Galaxy. Scientists are amazed by this. They love to study it. What you notice about that might be those kind of pinkish or brighter places in there. They believe those are places in that galaxy that stars are being born. 
all the time throughout the universe, stars are being born. We have this incredible view of the whirlpool galaxy. It's, it's symmetry. That other thing out there, one of the reasons I understand they call it the whirlpool galaxy is they thought they were sucking that other galaxy in. Kind of just in it. It's not perspective again. Looks like it from our perspective, but it, they're kind of just two different animals out there. That one's a little bit further away. That's what we call it. And scientists have developed in their technology the ability to look not just at the big picture galaxy, but through different methods have looked at the very center of this galaxy. They, they call it the X center of the Whirlpool Galaxy. Would you like to see a picture of the X center of the Whirlpool Galaxy? Okay, good, because if you didn't, I'm in trouble. Are you ready? Okay, go. What's that look like to you? Don't it, though? Now, I know, I know. Cross is a pretty common symbol. In fact, they call it the X center because that looks like an X a little bit if you put your mind to it. But I don't know. I've seen that cross, that representation, even at that angle in a lot of places, haven't you? I, I find that remarkable. Maybe because I'm a person of faith and you know, I'm preacher type. But I look at that, and I don't think I'm the only one, though. That's pretty incredible. That that whirlpool galaxy, I think I wrote down how far away it is. Did I? 20 million light years away. 20 million times 5.88 trillion. Do the math. My calculator ran out of zeros. I'm sure there's that scientific notation thing you can do, but I don't remember how that works either. 20 million light years times 5.88 million miles. That's how far away that galaxy is. We've seen it. Beautiful incredible picture, and there at the center of it is this thing that reminds me, and I'm guessing some of you, of a cross. I find that comforting on some level, don't you? That in the vastness of this universe, as we look around, as as the psalmist would say, the heavens declare the glory of God, I, I I get that message. As I look at the, the power of the sun, I'm reminded that our God is a consuming fire and a reminder of his power and glory present in this holy God. I get that message. But I have to wonder, much like the psalmist, what is man? Who am I? Who are you? That this huge God that put the stars and the sun and the moons in place that he is mindful of me. Or put another way, how did the one who hung on the cross, who we understand to be the very son of God, the one Bible says, the Bible says is the agent by which all things were created. Without him, there's not anything made that was made. How did he come to walk on this moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam? would write these words about Christ Jesus when he said, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. Rather, he made himself nothing. And he took the very nature of a servant, being, made, being found in human likeness as a man. And having been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. 
even death on the cross. That great God, Jesus being the second person of the Trinity, the Word that became flesh, God in the flesh, walked on this moat of dust suspended in the sunbeam as he humbled himself, as he emptied himself of all that and was willing to die on a cross. Now, history will tell you Jesus died. Yes, we have the Bible. We have those sorts of things that we look to. But history outside the Bible will record of this man, Jesus, and will record of he and others like him that had, according to some historical records, messianic aspirations that Rome snuffed out on that cruel instrument of torture we know of as a cross. But history won't tell you why he died. might be helpful to know what that was about, don't you think? Why would this awesome and eternal God step foot on this minuscule planet in the grand scheme of things and go through what he did Might it have been so that I could be rescued from this little brief wisp of a life that I live and returned to the story of this eternal God that created everything and holds it in place and might invite me to know him? Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12 Kind of tell us that story when the psalmist writes these words. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. If our God is a consuming fire, if that fire of his fury, of his wrath was unleashed like like the sun, we wouldn't be able to stand in his presence. But he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. It goes on and tells us this about our God. It says, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. No, rather, it tells us, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad? Anybody ever done you wrong? I'm going to guess most of you have experienced that. How did you want to treat that person who did you wrong, who stole from you, who betrayed you? who tried to hurt you in some way. I would guess not kindly. And yet, according to Scripture, according to the Bible, we have time and again treated our great God, our awesome God, our huge and holy God that way, and yet He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. Instead, what does he do? It tells us in the next verse, this is what he does. He does this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. Didn't we just go over that? How high are the heavens above the earth? For billion miles, or 1,019 yards from the bowling ball to Pluto? Is that pretty high? Well, that doesn't even get into it. That's just our neighborhood. How about our quarter in the North American continent that's... The Milky Way. That's pretty good. Thousands of light years across. Or how about the 20 million light years to another galaxy, which isn't even the end of the known universe. There's even ones beyond that. How high are the heavens above the earth? More than we can comprehend. And it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love 
for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, the next verse tells us, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. How far is east from west? If I understand it right, east goes one way and west goes the other way. And they pretty much keep going, right? Just kind of go. I mean, we have this whole round thing called the earth. We've talked about that. But you get out of that small scale because it's a speck. It's a moat of dust and a much bigger solar system and a much bigger galaxy and a much bigger universe. How far truly is east from west? East from west, is that right? I always go by sunrise, sunset. Hey, that'd make a good song. No, never mind. How far is that? How high is that? We get a sense. If we remove the scale, if we remove the the perspective that we just sort of think, hey, we're the center of everything, and the earth is the center of everything, and humanity is the biggest, baddest everything there ever was, and realize there's someone bigger and badder, and see things from his perspective, what does this passage tell you about his love and his forgiveness? It's unfathomable to our finite mind. And to give you a taste, a sense of the depth of that love, he sent his one and only son, Jesus who humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That's what these plates represent on this front table, don't they? The Lord's Supper, communion, whatever other words you may have heard it, the bread, the matzah broken, symbolic of the broken body of Jesus, the the cup of juice, symbolic of his shed blood, For God demonstrated his love. This love that is higher than the heavens are above the earth. He demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. We have some parents here, yes? You love your kids? Raise your hand if you love your kids. Raise your hand if your kids are the best kids ever. Okay, good. Just checking. Let me ask you. I want you to look at somebody else in this room. All you parents who just raised your hand and said you love your kids. Find somebody else in this room. You don't have to call them by name. I just want you to think of that person in your head that's not related to you. Okay? You got that person? Parents, here's your choice. Either they die or you sacrifice your kid on their behalf. Who's going down? Half of you are gone. Right? Choice for me would be easy. If I have a choice to save my child or somebody else, who am I going to save? Going for my kid. Just parental instinct, just normal stuff. Might be tragic to think of what would happen to the other person, but given the choice, it's not a hard choice. Scripture says God demonstrated this love that's higher than the heavens are above the earth by making the choice whether his child would die or somebody else would die. He let his child die. 
more than that, I mean, that's really underselling it, isn't it? Because of your sin and mine, because of what that sin deserves from a God who is a consuming fire, according to Hebrews and Deuteronomy. God unleashed, we might say, what I rightfully deserved and had had earned by my rebellion against him on his innocent son. I love the movie Gladiator, among others. And early in the movie, there's a battle. And after it's determined that the barbarian horde does not want peace by sending back the severed head of one of Maximus's troops, do you remember Maximus's instruction to his army? Two words. I know we're in church, but you can say them. Nobody remembers? Unleash hell. Now, do you remember? Or you just wanted me to say it instead of you because I did. That's what he says. And that's, in some manner of speaking, what we could say God did to his son, Jesus. Because he loved you. Because his love for you is higher than the heavens are above the earth. And so when we take these elements, this wafer and this cup, that's what we're taking. That's what we're symbolizing. That kind of love. Do we do this regularly? Yes, once a month. Maybe you do it more often at your place of worship if it's not here. Maybe you do it less often. But no matter how often we do it, if you've been around church work for a while, it's pretty common. We do it a lot. And it's easy to say, okay, oh yeah, I see the, the plate. I see the, the dishes on the front. Must be Lord's Supper Day. I know what's going to happen. You just kind of think it's another religious ritual. That's not what God intended when he left it for us. When Jesus, with his disciples, took these elements that were familiar to them from the Passover and said, I want to give them new meaning and full meaning. And so today, in in a moment, we're going to pass these elements out to you. And my hope is that you'll see them maybe a little bit differently because of what we've talked about. That you'll see in this wafer and in this cup the symbol that God left us of his son's broken body and shed blood. His wrath poured out as a demonstration of his love for you. A love that's higher than the heavens are above the earth. A love that's incomprehensible. A love that none of us are likely to exhibit toward any other person. God did it for you. So if our deep